Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, welcome back to another episode of Love Stranger. I am going to be a a trumpet orchestra. Hooray. (laughs) Uh, I have Robin who has called in today. Hello, Robin. Hi, Serena. How's it going? I'm good. Um, So... Uh oh, I just lost my train of thought. That's cool. Um it happens. It happens. There we go. Uh really authentic start to the podcast. Um so Robin actually used to lecture me at university when I went to acting school back in the day. Um and here we are about to tell some stories as we do. So, um a little trigger warning for people who are listening. Uh this story does contain uh some themes that might be triggering for some people, so just wanted to warn you all. Um but yeah, I'll I'll let Robin take it away. So, who's your stranger and what happened? <laughs> sure, I'll, I'll tell the story. I might do a little bit of scene setting first. Sure. Um, I should warn you as well that I actually don't know if I ever got my stranger's name. I don't know if he ever. If if he did, then I've since forgotten it. Which maybe you know, maybe that's meaningful. Maybe not. I'm I'm not sure. But um, yeah, he he might just have been a person who I didn't get introduced to properly. So right. um, so there's that. So, But my, my stranger is a, a, was a middle-aged man I met on Waiheke Island, um, which if, you do, if your listeners aren't familiar with it, uh, it's a smallish island in, and it's basically just off Auckland. So you can access it via ferry from Auckland CBD. Cool. Um, and it's not notable for much. There are a few vineyards and wineries and all that sort of fancy stuff on it. Mm-hmm. But it also has the best small musical instrument museum in the um, Southern Hemisphere. Um, wow. Turns out that, yeah, there, <laughs> okay, there was cool. a, a, a rich guy called Whitaker who I don't think is the chocolate magnate, um, New Zealand chocolate magnate, but a guy called Whitaker really just loved musical instruments. And there's this amazing little museum with rare pianos and um, lots and lots of mechanical instruments like um, like pianolas and all this, you know, crazy stuff, clockwork um, mm. instruments that you wind up and that play themselves and, um, you know, a whole range of small handheld instruments and anyway, really, really cool. Cool. Um, but I was, I was on a, a big trip of the US and I'd spent maybe 10 or 11 weeks almost entirely by myself um, mm. just on Greyhound buses around the southern states and... I basically crisscrossed the US going to gigs and seeing a lot of bands and um, just doing a bit of a music odyssey. Mm. Um, this is a few years back and I was in my kind of mid mid to late 20s at the time mm. and I realised that there was a big difference between... So the last time I, I travelled around the world, um, did a big back, backpacking trip, was about 10 years earlier mm. and there's a really big difference between travelling in your mid to late teens and your mid to late 20s. Right. Um, and being a, a you know mid to late sort of twenty one twenty two year old um, 
in hostels, you're welcomed into people's conversations, <laughs> and um, you're you're very much part of a, a culture of young people traveling. Mm. And being an older guy on his own with facial hair, you know, obviously not just fresh out of school. Um, I found quite an alienating experience because I really like traveling and chatting to people in yeah. hostels and all that sort of thing. But I just found that most people I was talking to were at least five or six years younger. Right. And there's obviously a real culture of um, kind of slightly predatory older men staying in hostels. And mm. there was some quite, I think, reasonable suspicion and people were much more guarded about my sort of presence in social spaces. Mm. So I'd had a, a kind of... Um, a strange few weeks in the States and hadn't, like, my first big trip overseas, I came back with sort of some lifelong friends who I'm still in touch with on social media and all that sort of thing. Mm. But this trip was very different and I kind of, like, I think by the time I got to New Zealand, I was quite lonely and um, really just, I, I, yeah, I was ready to come home basically. Mm. So I visited a friend in New Zealand, which was great, and took a day trip out to Waiheke to visit this musical instrument museum. Mm. Um, and I I'd packed... Uh, I was um, traveling with a banjo, uh, banjo ukulele, so a, a small handheld instrument, Beautiful. and I packed that on the ferry so I could. You know, I wanted to sit on the beach and play ukulele, basically. <laughs> a simple pleasure, but um, yeah, I, I tried to do it pretty much ever I can get. Um, and so I, I visited this museum, which was great, and spent a few hours there. I think I'd been their only visitor that day, and um, bought some fish and chips, and just went down to the beach and sat to eat. Sorry, long preamble, but but important, <laughs> I think. And as I was sitting, um, like, just overlooking, it's a beautiful spot. Um, you can see the, the harbour and um, all the, I guess it's a bay and beautiful trees and just high up above quite a rocky beach with a picnic table. And I was sitting there, um, banjolele on the table and fish and chips in front of me. Mm-hmm. And this guy just wanders past and he's he's on his own. He's in some distress, um, and it's immediately kind of clear. He's sort of walking backwards and forwards and muttering a little bit, um, not in a kind of completely florid way, but just sort of he's obviously quite distracted and a little bit distressed. Mm. And he spots the um, my instrument case and sort of registers a bit of interest. Mm. And then he sat down and, and started chatting. And I probably wouldn't have been as receptive to a conversation with just a random guy in late middle age if I hadn't just come off the back of 10 weeks of Mm. almost like it wasn't entire solitude but I was feeling pretty like I was feeling pretty lonely and um quite socially yeah just separated I guess Mm. and he he must have started the conversation with you know oh you're a musician what do you play and so I sort of explained that yeah it was my silly little banjolele and I'd been traveling around and (laughs) and then he, he was you know just asking what else I did and I explained that I was I lectured in theatre and I taught acting and all this sort of thing. Mm. And then this this incredible life story spilled out of him. And I never, like, I never tracked down the veracity of any of this. He might have been fantasising or fabricating some of it, but mm. it really wasn't sure, uh, wasn't clear. I, I took it at face value. But mm. anyway, this, this life story came out that he was a country boy from rural New Zealand and he'd been um, picked up by a touring English production at some point as an understudy wow. and um, that one of the, the lead actors was some like big hard hitter in the Shakespearean world cool. who convinced him to go over to the UK and study acting over there. And so he'd done a few years at, um, I think I think he'd said the Royal Shakespeare Company. Um, and my heart all, is all exploding. The, all this, all this, oh my God. <laughs> I know. It, it was, it was, 
it, it kind of checked out because he had stature and he had an amazing voice. So yeah. it, it wasn't as if I, I just thought, oh, this is bullshit. He, it, was, it was quite believable. Um, but, yeah, he definitely had some sort of formal training over there. Mm. But, uh, like, and, it, you know, he was saying that he'd been told that, you know, he would he would succeed, that he would be, you know, if not the next big thing, then at least he could make a living out of this sort of thing. Mm. And this this must have been back in the I don't know, 60s or 70s, I guess. Um, he, he would have been at least in his 50s, mm. um, but quite quite ravaged looking. And, um, you know, he, he obviously had 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 some really close, intense relationships with a lot of actors over there and, you know, was talking about how he'd who kind of mourning this lost youth youth that he'd had. He, he was talking about how he'd been this, you know, really attractive young guy and mm. um, all, all these older men had been very attentive and, you know, he'd, he'd obviously had some failed romances that were still really vivid for him, that were really mm. alive in his mind. And, um, yeah, and just a series of personal disasters that obviously struck and he was back at like back maybe even house sitting on Waiheke Island, cut off from that whole world. He said he hadn't acted in years. Mm. He said that um he was out of touch with all of his contacts back in the UK and was really bitter about it, like really upset about it. And he while he was interested that I was kind of part of that world and he was asking, oh, do you know so-and-so and, you know, this person, you know, this person and dropping a whole bunch of names from the 80s of people who I might have vaguely heard of, but mm. really I didn't know. I'd never met personally and, you know, um, and he was kind of wistfully, nostalgically reminiscing about, oh, you know, I was on stage with this person and, I, you know, I once understudied this person, yeah. all this kind of thing. Um, but it, it became really clear across the course of the conversation that he wasn't just nostalgically sort of reminiscing about, you know, this past. He, he was also in deep distress. Yeah. He um, he might have been, I don't think he was drunk, but he was definitely, he was at that kind of, like that point of um, whether it's desperation, there might have been some alcohol involved, but he was just, the, the conversation was quite circular. Mm. Um, he was rambling. He would occasionally engage quite closely with what I was saying and would have a little bit more of a back and forth. And then at other times he was just, he needed to say something. And so he'd talk, tell a long rambling story with no real kind of moral other than his life used to be much, much better than it currently was. Mm. And that seemed to be the, the the point of the conversation that, that he was sort of working up to, that he felt like he was a failure. He felt like his previous life as a performer, his um, potential as an actor had been wasted. He was back on the other side of the world feeling completely cut off. Mm. Nobody was talking to him. And maybe I was the only person who had given him a chance to ramble for some time, but he felt, it felt really rusty. I know I was feeling rusty about human contact. Mm. (laughs) He felt very, very rusty. Mm. And it became clear that without saying so, he was suicidal. Like he didn't say it in so many words, but it was fairly evident by three quarters of the way through our conversation Mm. that he was seriously thinking about, you know, he was asking, he was asking me, what's the point? You know, what is the point of all this? Why am I, why am I here? You know, what should I do? Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm a perfect stranger. It sounds like he's had, you know, a reasonably tragic, fascinating, but reasonably tragic life. Mm. I can't 
look him in the eye and tell him that things will get better, but it was absolutely what he needed to hear mm. from, I don't know, a, a young bloke, a stranger, someone tangentially involved in the same world that, that he was. Mm. And, like, I I have no experience like no training as a counsellor, I have no experience. And this isn't a humble brag about, oh my God, I totally saved this guy's life. Mm. Um, like all I, could, all I could do was what felt at the time like the bare minimum, which mm. was I sort of looked him in the eye, I listened to him, I said, you know, <laughs> platitudes. I'm, I'm sure it feels bad at the moment, but I'm sure it will get better. Look, look around, this is a beautiful place to be for, you know, for a little while. I wish I could live here. Um you know, watch the waves for a bit. Just like it, it felt like nonsense platitudes at the time. It didn't feel like I was necessarily going to have the kind of beneficial effect that he really, really needed. Mm. But at the same time, he kept on saying, nobody else is talking to me. Nobody else will hear me. Nobody else is listening. And he kept on thanking me for like just sitting down and sharing my hot chips and <laughs> hearing him talk. Mm. And that was really sad because, yeah, I mean, I can understand what no one wants to be bailed up by a, a rambling middle-aged man who obviously is going through some really terrible psychological stuff but mm. feels like they can unburden themselves to a total stranger. And at other times in my life, I think I would have really politely just walked away or, mm. you know, <laughs> made an excuse and left. Mm. But I couldn't at that point and it, it didn't feel right and I was also feeling like I said, just that little bit lonely and I could see a spectrum from my experience to his that, I don't know, maybe gave me a bit more empathy or something at that point. Mm. But I, I, I just felt like I was repeating platitudes, but he seemed quite satisfied with those platitudes mm. um, in the sense that he was definitely no worse at the end of the conversation than he was at the beginning. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, I, I did just keep on saying look, I, I can tell that you're really distressed now. I can tell that you're upset. Um, I'm really happy to keep talking to you. If, if you need, you know, if you need to just keep keep talking and know that someone's hearing your voice, I'll do that. Mm. And in the end, I, it, it, I don't know, it, it felt like it was almost enough, um, even though I wasn't feeling up to that task. Um, you know, and I checked, do you, have, do you have friends or family? Do you have anyone else you can check in with when you're feeling like this mm. and he, he said that he didn't like he, he claimed that he didn't um so I don't know whether he was just walking up and down the cliffs hoping that someone would give him that that moment of connection or whether mm. you know there was something else going on with why he was walking up and down the cliffs but um yeah I don't know and eventually like, I had to get a ferry back to Auckland I couldn't stay overnight you know talking to this guy the sun had set mm. but he did seem to be at least, I don't know, I, I can't make any sort of grand claims, but mm. it seemed, he definitely ended the conversation seemingly in a more positive, on a more positive note than he'd begun it. And yeah, he, he did, he wasn't exhibiting the same sort of symptoms of immense emotional distress. He wasn't shaking anymore and pacing and mm. had, his breathing had sort of slammed down and he'd stopped crying. So, mm. you know, <laughs> but it was, it was a really intense um obviously way more intense for him than for me and I'm not claiming any sort of special um, effect on me, but mm. it was a, a really sobering sort of exchange for me mm. um, because it, it it really brought up a lot of stuff about, you know, ambition and masculinity, I think, and the ways in which people feel licensed to share emotions and yeah. 
Um, and all of which, I, you know, I've, a lot of that stuff I've struggled with as well. And the idea of when I was feeling depressed, bowing up, a, you know, a random person on a beach and talking at them for three hours is absolute anathema to me. Mm. But maybe it was the right thing for him to do at that point. I'm not sure. I'm mm. not sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I can't give you any sort of grand conclusion to the story. <laughs> I got back on my ferry and kind of wished him good luck and shook his hand and looked him in the eye and he said that it was the first time that he'd been touched for months. Wow. That, that someone had actually touched him. Mm. And, look, th- there may have been a, a very light sort of sexual undercurrent to some of the conversation. I don't, I don't know. Mm. But it actually felt much more like it was this overwhelming need for human contact rather than anything more um, mm. sort of pointed. <laughs> mm. um, and yeah, it was, anyway, it, I, I, it was very sobering. I'd actually almost forgotten about it, but I found a postcard recently that I'd written to my partner the day after, just saying, and remind me to tell you when I get home about this really intense experience I had on the beach at Waiheka Island, oh. and I, it sort of swam back up. So anyway, that's the story. <laughs> oh, Wow. Well, um, fish and chips solve everything. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> look, look, there are very few problems that can't be solved with an application of fried food and a shitload of salt. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think there's, there's definitely something to be said for um, those moments of distress and uh, – I suppose through through my own like going to a psychologist and learning about my own mental health and other people's mental health and everything, um, just bringing it back to the literal survival basics like have you eaten, have you drunk some water, have you connected with mm. people, have you, you know, um, ah, oh, and just the the fact that that he was coming from this or had had experience in the same kind of artistic realm as you, um, mm. is just a really beautiful moment of synchronicity, I think. Um, I think I think it gave him the kind of into a conversation that he really, really needed. Mm. And maybe he was desperate for, like, any point in common. And if I'd had a completely different background, he might have found something else to, to latch onto. But mm. it definitely gave a kind of baseline for some sort of contact that we could yeah. talk about. We talked about Shakespeare. We talked about acting. It, it allowed him to kind of, yeah, open up a bit. So, yeah, it, it did feel like there was a little bit of synchronicity yeah. at play there. And he, he initiated the conversation is, yeah. is what you said. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <sighs> That's mm, Yeah, exactly. How did well, – yeah. um, you, you said that you, like, wrote a postcard to your partner um, – mm afterwards did you feel like uh that interaction or like mm, if you had not experienced that and you had gone home um from this like huge overseas trip and everything experiencing all the gigs and whatever um do you think do you think you would have come away with a different um uh, what am I trying to say? Like a, a different uh, perspective or a different worldview? Or how do, how do you think that your trip itself was changed and how do you feel mm. like um, something in your perspective was altered or shift um, because of that experience in relation to that entire trip that you had? Yeah, I think um, – I, I don't want to over sort of overstate it, but I think mm. it was a, a, 
a, a really intense experience that had a big effect on me. Mm. And particularly at the end of a trip where I'd been struggling with um, feeling lonely and feeling a lack of contact for extended periods, mm. while also having a lot of fun, but just really wishing I had friends to share it with. Mm. Um, and then to to wind up, because I, I love traveling on my own, and I, I always have, and um, to wind up on a beach, like on my own with another guy on his own who obviously was at the other end of, of that, who mm. was hating solitude, was was deeply, deeply affected by solitude. Mm. It, it ha- I have had cause to rethink that because, um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to be in my late 50s, early 60s and feel alone in the world and not have touched somebody for months and, mm. um, you know, be hold up alone on a, a remote island. And, it, you know, all of that stuff, I think, gave me a... a a vision of a future that is possible for white men prone to depression mm. as they get, get into middle age. Mm. And that was a like a very sobering realisation. Mm. Um, not because, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, oh God, I, I would never want to be like him. So I went away and changed my life, mm. but more just as kind of, okay, I can, I could see how that happens. Mm. I could see how that happens to people who are successful or have so much potential or, you know, and I, I really empathise with that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it, it just it, it has stuck with me as one of the more memorable, um, even though it's come in and out of my memory, as, as I said. But it it definitely is one of the most memorable sort of interactions I've had with a complete stranger on mm-hmm. while travelling. Um, and yeah, it, it, I don't know, has it made me more open to those kind of conversations in the future? Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not. I think. They, those conversations demand a lot of both participants, though, and yeah. I was I was in the right headspace at that point mm. to hopefully be remotely useful. But mm. I don't know if I'd always have that resilience or that yeah that ability to to um, welcome or, or cope with that kind of responsibility. I guess mm. so. Yeah, I don't know. As you can tell, I'm still I'm still a little conflicted about it. Not because I regret the interaction at all, but I just wish that I could have done better and I hope he's okay. Like, it's funny how you, like, I, I will never see him again, mm. but I hope that that he didn't act on the urges that he was obviously having. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. So the, the postscript to the story, um, which I think is is – relevant for a sort of tangential reason. This was basically a great failure of mine um, to to offer anything. Mm. But I was sitting on Katoomba Station um, a couple of years back and a woman came up the stairs and she was bawling and howling with grief, like not just sobbing quietly to herself privately, but mm. it was an all-consuming, yeah, like she was just overwhelmed with, with grief. Mm. And she sat on the other end of the platform. It would have been maybe 7 a.m. I was half asleep. It was freezing. And from my bench seat right down the platform, I could just hear her howling. And it was like I I wanted to go to her. I wanted to ask her if there was anything I could do. But the the quality of that emotion was just so powerful. And I I chickened out. I just completely chickened out. I didn't pretend she wasn't there, but nor could I make eye contact or – it, it felt like I was 
invasive, like invading on the the absolute like intensity of that emotion. Mm. And just as I was sitting there, like kicking myself and wishing that I could, um, I could do something, anything. Um, a guy, just another man, like probably in his sixties, so quite a bit older than me and her, um, also came onto the platform and he looked up the platform, saw her weeping, walked up and without even really talking, he just hugged her Mm. and she cried and cried and cried and he hugged her and it was not creepy or sleazy. There was no kind of, you know, it was obvious that they didn't know each other. Mm. Like there was no sort of recognition and no greeting and no using names or anything, but he just went and held her and she wept and wept and wept. And I actually overheard quite a bit of their conversation. I won't, um, I won't go into it because it was intensely private and mm. her grief was um, justified grief. Mm. Um, but I was, I felt like hugging them both after that because mm. he did what I, at that moment, had absolutely, I just was way too cowardly to do. Mm. And um, that just, it, it similarly just really stood out to me as a moment when a stranger did something right, mm. um, something right, anything right. And it was obviously what she needed. She needed to talk to someone and she needed a hug. And I'm, I'm, I actually really regret that it wasn't, that I couldn't do it. But I'm so glad that somebody on Timber Station at 7 a.m. on a weekday morning could. Um, yeah. Anyway, it, just, it was a postscript of these little moments, fleeting moments do happen between people, I think. Mm. Um, and that one seemed to, it seemed to be the right thing for her as well. So. Beautiful. Anyway, that's the end of that moment. <laughs> oh, wow. How do you feel like um, those two experiences that you had, how do you feel like they uh, informed each other? I think both of them just prove that people really, really need, like it's a cliche, but it's true, people need human connection and contact. Mm. And people don't stop needing that sort of connection and contact, even if it's just a handshake or a physical, like a hug. Um, people don't stop needing that in their moments of greatest distress. Mm. And I think we often push each other away in our moments of distress. Mm. Um, we we actively like push each other away and reject those kind of offers of physical help or or solidarity or empathy or whatever Mm. um but in both of those moments it felt like that was the and i keep on saying the right thing it's like i'm talking on a a moral sense i think like Mm. ethically and morally it was the right thing to do to offer that um whether it's a, a an ear to listen to those stories or a shoulder to cry on or a handshake or a hug or whatever Mm. that was what was absolutely needed and if if it had to be a stranger to supply those then why not mm. like what what's the there's absolutely no harm done and you've it, it, actually had a net positive effect in the world in those moments which is yeah not something that we can always be relatively confident about <laughs> but um but yeah i think that that those offers when they're genuinely meant and or even when they're just done out of politeness they still can be really meaningful Mm. it's a good thing not to lose sight of i think beautiful 
Well, on that note, um, the the last little part of of the podcast is uh, if you were to see this person again, um, what would you like to say to them? Um, yeah. Yeah, I'd I'd shake his hand again and tell him that I hope he's okay. Like, yeah. That's I think that's uh, that's yeah that that would possibly need only that would need to be the limit of our further contact. Um, I wouldn't want to re-prosecute that conversation. Mm. I don't know if that would be useful. Um, but I think, yeah, a- another sort of handshake, look in the eye, and I, I hope you're okay. Um, mm. I would really like to <laughs> to communicate again. Mm. Beautiful. Oh, all right. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, no worries. That was a really... Uh, Humbling story, I think, is is the word that I that I that I want to use for it. Um, thank you for listening, everybody. Um, if yourself or someone that you know uh, is struggling um, with their mental health, or is just feeling a bit down, or are going through some cyclical. Um, thought patterns or whatever um, there are a few numbers that you can call um, the lifeline number is 13 11 14 um, they're a hotline for emergencies um, there's also kids helpline which is for people under 25 you're still classified as a kid haha <laughs> uh, so their number is 1-800-55-1800 and the third place is called Headspace. Um, they're not a, an emergency hotline, but they do provide um, counseling and community things of all sorts of varieties. Uh, so you can just give them a little Google and see if there's a, a local branch near you. Um, please take care of yourselves. Uh, I always recommend a cup of tea. Um, listen to some nice music. If you're into incense, burn some incense or a candle. Um, highly recommend all of the above. Um, do take care of yourselves, my dear listeners, and I will see you all next time, virtually via my voice. Da 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 da. <laughs> okay, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Old friend, we climbed a slow hill, sunlit. Ascending Gentle rise Tentative feet I taste air Like a snail
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.